precedently on Fargo. Lester, is this what you want? Yes. So that was our last precedently. <laughs> this is the West Coast Project podcast for Fargo TV. My name is Mike. And I'm Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Mike. So that's it. You're right. It was the final one. How'd you like it? Um, I feel vaguely satisfied. I thought it was really good. Um, still have some questions, still have some things that I'm hoping for, even though it's over. So, uh, I don't know. What are you hoping for? What I'm hoping for is that this whole Sioux Fall thing that they came up with with Lou ends up being our Fargo season two. Because I was hoping and I thought they were going to tell us the story behind that. And they teased us so much with it and then never really got into it. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that, that, that was idea. on my list, too, of one of the unanswered questions, Sioux Falls. Well, they even talked about it in this episode. They even brought it up again and even teased us a little bit then. I thought Lou was going to uh, go into it. I thought he was going to maybe tell the story to Greta, which would have been great, too, because it would have been a bonding moment between them and something that we've all really looked forward to. But it didn't happen that way. So I hope that we do end up getting to hear that story. I want to know the story. Uh, yeah, there were some... Sometimes the last episode conveys like an automatic couple extra points because it's the last episode and you automatically think it's, you know, deserves high ranking. But this was not a really great ending for me. It was pretty good. I mean, it was a great series and I liked the show a, a lot. But I don't know if I'm too happy with this ending. So um, let's go through it. And Well, yeah, I... I also wanted to kind of point out right here, since we're talking about this early, but have have we come across like a little area of TV or a little era, not area, era of TV where we do the finals a couple of, of episodes back? Because there there have been points that this could have ended, not totally, but almost, and it felt better it's like um well like with game of thrones it's like they do their their pinnacle episode in episode eight or nine and then their final episode kind of just ties things up usually is how they kind of that's how i see it and i'm wondering if we're not maybe uh if that's not our the little shtick or whatever that's going around now because well that's how stories are supposed to be written you have like the you know, you have the build-up, and then you have the climax, and then you have the resolution. The climax is the highest point of action, is before right. the ending, and you have the resolution at the end. Well, that's a good point. It just seems like that we've seen a lot of things put to bed a lot earlier, and then we have this ending that I guess we'll talk about. Yeah, Game of Thrones actually didn't do that this time. No, well... But you're right. No. They do. They usually have the ninth episode of of ten is the big big episode of the year. Right, right. I just didn't know if that was more of a. I don't know. It kind of keeps us off balance. I mean, I know they can't really. They, 
this is different because it's not season to season a continuation, but um, it almost felt like that with me. We've had definitely more exciting episodes, I thought, prior to this. Anyway. We'll so we start out with le- the ending of the ep- of the episode is Lester's snowmobile track, and then we see the hole in the ice. We don't know why or what or where yet, but um, so we see the ending and not know what it is. And then we can jump right back to where we were in episode nine with Lester outside the insurance shop. So here I'm going to go back. I have another complaint. I might have some complaints during this podcast. Okay. If um, – Morton's Fork, the parable is that you sometimes have two choices, none of them are good, and you've got to pick one or the other and just live with the negativity of the of the choices. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Between a rock and a hard place, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, is Morton's Fork, Lester outside the shop here, choosing to send Linda in? Because I guess he knows Melville's there, the light's on, right? Is his decision to send Linda in or to go in himself, and that's his Morton's Fork point? No, he didn't know Malvo was there. I think that light was always on. I don't think that light was on because, I mean, come on, Malvo's not going to go in there and turn on the light to make himself known. I mean, otherwise, he would have known Lester wouldn't have walked in like that. Yeah, I've read that, though, that that, that, um, Lester knew that Malvo was in there. No way. Okay. No way. No, well, that's my, that's my dilemma here. That's my problem that I'm trying to resolve. Because if, if that is the Morton's Fork, which some people believe that it is in this show, what he had a third choice, which is to just drive away, right? He didn't have to send Linda in there. He didn't want Linda dead. You know, he didn't want her dead. I think you were right in our last podcast when you said he what he really wanted was the passports and he was willing to take the risk that Linda would go in and flesh flush out any problems instead of him going in. Well, that's exactly what I thought about it. But, you know, Lester, I mean, we could take it all the way back to episode one if you want to talk about Morton's Fork with Lester, because he either could live with this shrew of a wife as he saw his choices or he could hit her in the head with a hammer. Now, of course, there's always other choices, but, um, I mean, they're both kind of horrible. Yeah. In their own way. They're, they're both their own kind of hell in their own way. One certainly more destructive than the other, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Um, what other what else in the story would you have found under Morton's Fork? What was Morton's Fork in this episode? If it, if not that. Maybe Gus? Gus having decide what decide whether to kill Malvo or try Maybe. to catch him. Well, or to to let him go. What about Molly and her, you know, and Gus's decision or asking her not to go after him? She's damned if she do and she's damned if she doesn't, you know? I mean, one seems like the the lazy, easy way out and one seems like the almost belligerent trying to go above what she should be doing way, uh, especially in her present situation. So a lot of these characters in the show from the beginning... I think had very 
conflicting and not good choices. Pick between the lesser of two evils as you define it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The parables rarely apply to just one character. They usually go across several people. Yeah, I mean, I I could maybe rationalizing, but I could relate it to many, almost, almost any of the conflicting characters I could relate it to. I mean, I can't think of a way to relate it to, like, Greta. I mean, I can't relate it to just anybody. But any of the characters that had the conflict, I can definitely relate it to. Yeah. Well, Lester goes in and gets the passports for a second, but he puts them back and then plants the keys on Linda. Um, I had another question about this, too. Like, why why are the tickets on Linda's body damning to Lester? Why does he have to... Why was that a mistake? did not get that because they could have planned a trip to Acapulco. There's nothing sinister about that. And I didn't really see why he put the passports back in the safe. I would have thought he would have wanted his passport. I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. Well, I think he was the implication. He was trying to cover up the fact that he was traveling and if he had passports or tickets on Linda... But if, you know, if they really suspected Lester, they could have gotten into his computer and seen that he bought tickets online. Well, sure. I mean, it's not like you can travel without being, uh, you know, an open book about it anymore. So, well, I mean, if he just if he just totally trashed, tore up the tickets and destroyed them, they still would have found out that he bought them. Well, sure. Anyway, we I, I guess we shouldn't nitpick every little thing. But so he so he covers up Linda with the keys and then he goes and he tries to fake a dinner at Lou's and pretend that Linda's on the way. Yeah, and he's not as slick with this as I wanted him to be. Yeah, he tripped up a little, but he was still pretty slick. Lou was on to him when he repeated the alibi twice. Right, and he seemed more like a pre-death Pearl Lester, pre pre Malvo Lester, than he did to his confident Lester. Maybe, but he was still pretty slick. Like he calls the non-emergency number, which I think probably means it's not recorded, so it's just it's a little less honed into like the nine one one numbers. That okay, was pretty smart. Yeah, I didn't think about that. About um, why he would have done it that way. And he goes out. He goes to a payphone for one thing, and you know he he's pretty sneaky, even though he kind of he's a little nervous and he repeats the alibi, which Lou picks up on. I thought it was neat how they had him walk past that couple in the diner, yeah, the insurance couple, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, you see that guy later too well, we do, and I thought it was interesting how they showed them together because. Otherwise, if they hadn't showed them together in there and saying hello to Lester, I don't know that I would have known it was him. Maybe, but maybe not. So they really gave us like a little taste of that. I thought that was pretty good, pretty brilliantly done to remind us who this guy was. So we find out that the Grimley household likes Steel or No Deal. They do. That's their show. They like it. And we find out that Greta's a little bit more... uh, of a risk taker than Gus, which it's not surprising. Oh, did she did she make no deal or something? She took the risk here. 
Yeah, she kept saying, Gus kept saying, take the money. And she kept going, no. I mean, every time they showed it, that's what she said. How does that show work? Have you ever watched it? It's been so long. Um, something about, no. No, I truly don't know. It's something so about you, do, you they win try, so they, much. They try to make you take the deal and bail out of the bigger money later. And if you say no deal, you're taking a risk. Yeah, I think then you have to answer some other questions or something and you can lose it all or whatever. Or maybe not even answer questions, but it's like you pick somebody and it just depends on what it is. I don't I don't know enough, but it's you either can take take money that you won or you can essentially put it on the line. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know enough about it to talk about it as evidenced by. Well, sometimes in, in real life, those... The way we view things makes uh, gives a window on to the type of person we are, mm-hmm. risk taker or super conservative or what. Um, so we get past that and, and um, the body scene and all that. We see Malvo cooking for himself, and it looks like he's just in simplicity. He's like cooking for survival. He's eating for survival, like no big grand yummy dinner. He's well, just, we got him in a little cabin that's in the middle of nowhere, and it's kind of a stark situation that he's in. But, yeah, you're right. It looks like he's probably opened a can of something and thrown it in a pot. Did you know um, Malvo's plan, or did you know what Malvo was going to do or where he was headed at this point? He had the walkie-talkie he was listening in. I had no idea. Did you? Did you have it figured out? Uh, no, I was curious. He was. He was— Checking out all the people around him as he always does, but you know, I was still wondering where the show is going to leave Malvo at the end of this. Oh, I know, I know. Don't forget, though, we did leave out the part where uh, Molly and Bill are assessing Linda, where they've come into the shop that was right before that, and they noticed that she's in Lester's coat. And Molly points out that maybe the bullet wasn't meant for Linda. So she picks that up immediately. And then Lester frantically comes in and, and he's, you know, acting like he's going to be sick and pass out and do all that. And I actually thought he played that part pretty good. I thought he was back in his game at that part. Yeah, I, I thought he was always in his game, although he was a little bit out of it for a minute when he doubled up that alibi. Well, yeah, and I think that was done intentionally. I think they showed us intentionally that he'd kind of stepped into something that even scared him at the moment, even though the person he was. But this is where Lester tries to, he goes to that much trouble just to try to get those uh, Acapulco tickets out of the pocket. I mean, right right there in front of everybody. So he's really, again, he's really concerned about that. And I didn't understand that either. Yeah. Trying to cover up that trip for some reason. Yeah. Um, I guess it showed him as even less human, though, like he was worried about his alibi more than about his dead wife's laying on the floor there. That he had just sent her to her, to to her demise. So we see Lou coming in and trying to warn Molly, like, you don't really have to do this. And you got two choices. You can do it one way or the other way at the, at the PD, Bemidji PD. And, um... And then we see Malvo come up and bust into the FBI, Budge and Pepper's car, and he takes out their code book. Did you know what that book was when you first saw it? I did not. And I sat and looked at it and looked at it, actually paused it and looked at it, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, me too. 
For a second, I thought it might be like a like a Torah or a Bible or something or a passport. Couldn't read it. Couldn't stop and read it. No, I couldn't either. I thought maybe it was an address book. And he was going to go, I mean, who even has those anymore? I'm dating myself, huh? But, but, and he was going to go torture, you know, somebody or get, get to them through that way. But we find out that's not what it was. And um, we also, we also heard Budge and Pepper talking about being awake. That was interesting. Yeah. um, Budge kept saying, are we asleep or awake? And Pepper's like, do you just speak everything you think? And um, what well, do you think I, they? What do you think they were talking about being awake? Well, I didn't think about it till you just said it, but maybe are they gonna get this or not? Is this gonna work out for them or not? Is what it kind of sounds like. But I don't know. They're so goofy. It was hard to know if because. You know how you'll be in a situation sometimes and you're thinking, is this even really real, kind of? You know, it's like, am I asleep? Pinch me. Am I dreaming? And um, You think they were thinking that because they spent 156 days of nothing, of just watching nothing, and then all of a sudden all this is happening? Maybe. Yeah, it was mysterious. It was like, are you awake, like, philosophically, I think? Are you, are you, can you believe this is happening all around us? Anyway, that's how I took it. They didn't make it very clear, though. No. So we see Lester getting interviewed at the police department. Um, He tries to defer some of these questions by asking Bill to jump in, and Bill just says answer. (laughs) Bill's finally on the right side of the questioning here. And um, Lester wants a lawyer. That was pretty powerful, I think, when he admitted he was in enough trouble that he had to he had problems and he needed legal help. Yeah, we we never saw a lawyer show up, which I know is not necessary in this case or anything. It wouldn't wouldn't have really helped anything, but it was odd how he asked for a lawyer, but they continued to talk. When- if you found yourself in this situation and say you were Lester and you were innocent, would you have asked for a lawyer? Um... I don't know. I can't even picture it. You know, I think you're supposed to, even if you're totally innocent, you're really not supposed to give information to the police just openly like that. Well, they tell you anything you say can and will be used against you. I mean, they haven't arrested him yet or anything, but they're certainly questioning him. So the smart thing to do would be to do that. And I think when he figured out, and certainly in this situation, I think when he figured out that, Uh, even Bill wasn't going to be on his side that that's when he's like, okay, I got to have somebody on my side. And we see that this, we see the total weight of all the law enforcement on one side of the table, even though part of that is Bill, (laughs) but Molly, Bill, Budge and Pepper are all on one side of the table and Lester's alone on the other side, kind of fending off for himself, fending for himself. It's a pretty cool scene at the table there. It was like we were it was clear that Lester had to work his way out of this by himself. Well, yeah, and Molly's even telling him, you know, she tries to almost appeal to him and says that um, you know, he's not going to stop and maybe he's not even a man. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I after the lawyer, after the lawyer comment, right. well, you know he's not going to stop. Right. Yeah, that was strong. 
Um, so then we see some really cool shots of the Minnesota morning, those long landscape shots. Beautiful. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Um, and Lou's protecting the house with um, his gun. <laughs> he's he protecting is. Greta with the gun on the porch. That's what he's doing. You got to love Team Lou, Greta. Gus, You Lou, really Greta. do. I know. I know all of them. But Gus wants to know why Lou's there. And then Gus gets very concerned over Molly. And I don't know if this is an instinctual thing or if he just feels guilty because how horrible would this have been if since Gus let him go because he feared for himself, if then Malvo had turned around and killed Molly and his unborn child. Yeah. We'll get to that at the end. I have some problems with Gus letting him go. And cause Gu- they make it, they make it like Gus, f- f- you know, fixed his mistake by kind of being the one to stop Malvo, but... There's a lot to talk about with that. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So um, Molly's back. We're back after a commercial. Molly's back at the PD holding uh, a session of Malvoism, I guess, to the dumb cops. Good great. <laughs> God. But she's got her whiteboard back in action, and she's showing them the facts of the case. Um, and she's telling them, I guess, pretty much to fan out and catch Malvo. Um, and Gus is really worried about this. Gus calls her, I guess, and tells her to stay at the PD and not go out on, on the hunt for Malvo. Mm-hmm. And what he, do you think about that? He even makes her promise. I made a, I made a comment in Facebook. I didn't, I understood it, but I didn't like it. I don't like it when he tried to make her not do her job like he didn't do his job. That, that is her job. <laughs> it is. Um... It is. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I didn't want her to go out either because I didn't want to see, like I said, happen to her. But, um, but at the same time, I mean, she's just a couple weeks away from delivering this baby, and she probably shouldn't be out there doing that kind of thing anyway. And particularly in this personal kind of uh, situation, but. She does have an A-team of guys that they figure out it's a triangle more than a what uh, I don't know what the other shape was. Uh, yeah, she does not have uh, the smartest people. And the receptionist who needs to lock the door because she's afraid. I didn't blame her. I wouldn't want to be left there alone either. When she said, do you think it's safe? And Molly looked at her like, what? And she goes, I mean, for me, for me, is it safe for me? <laughs> like, I would lock the door. But seriously, but like a locked door is going to prevent Malvo from doing something. Maybe that door, though. That's a police department double glass, probably bulletproof door. Maybe. Uh, but Gus plays the Greta funeral card and kind of wins the argument with Molly. That was a pretty intense thing to say. We never found out what happened to the first wife, right? Gus's first wife? Mm-mm. Uh, not, not that I remember, no. So Gus, driving along on the cell phone sees the red bmw and he finds malvo's hideout i guess well yeah he's what um he slammed on his brakes because there's that wolf in the middle of the road and he skids to a stop so when he skids to a stop he looks to his left and lo and behold there's the red i mean it was just like 
something meant to be. He looks so, to his left, and there's the red. Yeah. BMW. What was the wolf symbolism? Coincidence? Malvo's alter ego? What do you think the wolf in the road was? You know, I read where somebody said that it was Malvo himself, in a way. Um, it it was something. It was something maybe the the bigger wolf going after its own I don't know. Like well, a, wolves tend to stay in packs, so maybe it was like what that wolf in nature found Malvo and thought it was something he needed to be close to or something. Oh, that's I I like that. But Gus pulls around the corner and you know, he's pretty brave, I guess. He pulls around the corner and sneaks up through the woods and kind of stalks Malvo from the outside until he gets up, gets in his car and drives away. And then he goes inside the cabin and waits for Malvo to come back. Yeah, I was horrified at that. But it does make me wonder if... We've seen Gus this whole time as being this cowardly person and certainly not a risk taker. And it makes me wonder if maybe he wasn't like that because he was all Greta had. And he kind of pointed that out, I think, in one of the earlier episodes. And now that Greta has Molly and Lou, if then Gus can't be, if that doesn't give him courage, just that alone, because he knows if something happens to him, Greta has her family still. So I don't know if we're seeing the true Gus in his bravery or if we're seeing the uh, just guilt Gus because he let him go. And so he's trying to still correct that. I don't know. Well, I just think Gus believes what Molly said, that he's not going to stop. If Gus could ignore him again, but he's not going to stop, and now he's like close to his family and to his hometown, and Gus has to take action to stop him. Right. Not, you know, I I think that's that was his main thing. Um, so we go back to the PD, and Bill admits his limits, and he's, he quits. He tells Molly he's going to quit. She can inherit the chief role, and um, Molly sets up the plan to call the cavalry and set the trap. Yeah, they're going to use Lester as bait, essentially. But Bill's pretty much saying to Molly, you know, you're 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 able to do this, and I'm not. And Vern was right, and yeah, and he Molly, didn't have the stomach for it. And Mo- he goes into that whole thing. And how did you feel? I I loved that they made us like him at the end because there was a whole or at least gave us a big chunk of something to like. We've seen little tiny pieces of Bill to like, but we got a big huge chunk of Bill to like in this. Whatever happened to saying good morning to your neighbors, whatever happened to shoveling each other's walks. He used to have a positive opinion in the world. He's drinking now and staring in the fire and all he ever wanted was a stack of pancakes and a V8. He just doesn't want this. He doesn't want this image of the world and he knows he can't handle it and he's going to handle hand it to somebody who can. And what a what a noble thing to do! What a great self uh, recognition and the noble way to handle that. I don't know if I'd call it noble. It's honest. I don't know. It's very noble. Noble might have been to step up and say the world is this way, and I need to try to do something about it instead of back, just backing away from it. 
think he's noble in his own way. Noble in that I know I can't do it. If I can't do something and I hand it off to somebody that I know can, I don't think I necessarily have to turn into somebody who can handle that, or I don't think that has to be my strong suit, or I have to change myself. I think I can hand it to somebody else, and I think that's a noble thing to do as long as I admit it. But maybe that's just me. Okay. Well, that's that's a good opinion. Um, so here we listen to Malville call in and set his plan into motion. Please? Yes, this is FBI Maine. I'm looking for my agents. Yeah. They're with a suspect. I can interrupt. You want pepper or budge? Uh, negatory. <laughs> uh, don't interrupt. Uh, just uh, tell them to call home when they're done. This is pretty good. Then he's going to call the FBI. Operations? Passcode? Uh, 6 1 Alpha Theta 9. Transferring. This is that book he found. Mm hmm. Uh, yes, this is uh, Agent Budge. Uh, we've hit a dead end out here, so uh, we're going to be heading back. Say again? Dead end, heading back. Hold on. Did you just call looking for backup? Uh, yeah, my partner, he kind of jumped the gun on that one, but looks like local PD has it under control, so we're going to just pack and blow. Whatever. Get your shit straight. Cancel your backup. So Malvo is super smart here. He cancels the backup and is very believable. He has the vernacular down from the FBI agents and just sounds really believable. Is that one of the things that he heard on the radio? Because I couldn't make out that radio stuff. So he would have had to have heard that they were going for backup, right? Yeah, yeah, but just we're we're gonna pack and blow. Just you know, he knows the colloquialisms that the FBI guys use. Right. He's probably listened to that radio for well, years yeah. and years, so he's right. tuned into them. Right. But I just think he was a really quick thinker. Like, hey, you just told us to bring back up, and then he, without hesitation, he just kind of flips it. Um. So then he goes to the car lot, and we see our buddy, uh, the insurance salesman. No, the no, he wasn't or the insurance bought a customer, right? Yeah, but now this guy, remember, we got to point out here that this was the librarian. Remember, he's the one who said he worked in the library. Yep. And suddenly he's a used car salesman. Well, maybe he's he's a young guy. Maybe he's going through a few jobs. No, but librarian—that's what people. I don't. I, I've I've always thought that librarian is like a it's a skilled. A degreed position. A librarian is not just somebody who goes and sits in a library. It's a it's a serious job. It's a profession. So it was weird to me that he was a librarian and then suddenly he's selling cars. But I thought it was you know it it was if it'd been something else I would have bought it. But not a librarian. Am I wrong about that? I don't know. I think people just change jobs a lot now. Okay. Um. But that's Double L Motors. We I Googled that website. I didn't Google it. I looked. They have a website, and I looked up the website. And that's a real car dealer in Calgary. Oh, uh, really? Which is where they filmed much of Fargo. So Double L Motors in Calgary. And here's their website. We know you have high expectations. Allow us to demonstrate our commitment to excellence. Located in historic Inglewood, Double L Motors has been in business for over 25 years. 
We sell all makes and models in all years. We have cars for under $1,000 and up. We have over 130 vehicles in stock. And that's right on their website. It's pretty cool. And so for all sales inquiries, please call Billy or Rob. (laughs) But... That ins- the insurance uh, customer was the car salesman, and he, and Malvo's interested in the FBI car, and I like how he just admits everything right up front. Like that looks like an undercover FBI car. <laughs> He's not afraid of like just buying it on the sly and sneaking off. He tells him exactly what he wants. Ah uh, no. And then that car had the dealer plate on it, like the Fargo in the Fargo movie. Well, yeah. Um... Yeah, would it would it have a dealer plate in that situation? Wonder on a but test it, drive. Okay. But yeah, the, w- they have those plates on just springs that they can clip on really quick. Oh, okay. Um. So then, back at the PD, Molly is letting Lester go. Uh, I guess he didn't really need his lawyer, and so Lester says, "I'm not the person." Lester, of course, is talking too much again. I'm not the person you think I am. I'm not this monster. And then we hear Molly's glove analogy. Did you figure out the glove analogy? Figure it out in what way? Well, what you- like what what did it mean? You lose one glove, you're on the train, the train's pulling away, you look out the window and you see the glove, but you have the other glove with you and it's too late to stop. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just... Uh, there's some people who are going to bemoan it and think about how life is unfair and clutch their one glove. And then there's some people who are going to go, okay, this is what life's dealt me, so I'm going to toss the other glove out. Did you relate it to uh, something, a character or something? No, I actually didn't figure it out. And I read later on online that, that, that it was an act of kindness to sacrifice the second glove and so somebody can find a pair of gloves and not just one useless sure. one glove. Right, right. Like a different type person. One person would clutch it and one person would go, okay, I don't have what I need, so I'm going to let somebody else have have it. Right. Uh, so she she tells Lester this analogy <laughs> on the way out as he's leaving. Um and he asks her what she's trying to tell him, and she just says goodbye. So it's over his head because he's not that kind person. He would never understand it. Right. Well, yeah. Or I don't know what he was thinking. I can't pretend to be in uh, Mr. Nygaard's head, but... It makes me feel bad that I didn't understand it. Okay. Well, so... <laughs> so Budge, Budge and Pepper drive him home. Why do you think they're focusing in on... Budge's or Pepper's socks so much. They always have weird socks. Oh, I don't know. I didn't notice that. As he was stepping into the car, his foot was really right in the front front center of the shot. Was it like an Argyle sock or something? Yeah, some crazy yeah. colorful sock. Yeah, something just kind of rung a bell when you said that. But Lester doesn't even want him there. And wonder why. Because Well, because... We're to assume at this point that Lester wants to make an escape, right? Lester wants to leave. I guess, yeah, I think so. And that's why he doesn't want them there. Because otherwise, I would think he would want them there and in the house with him. Unless he thinks that there's no stopping Malvo. And that particularly these two guys, who they've shown to be not the most bright 
characters could Yeah, stop. they were briefly bright, and then they were dumb again. That was kind of weird, too. Yeah. yeah. But they give Lester the rabbit, cabbage, and wolf analogy par- parable in the car, and Lester gets it right away. Immediately. But he didn't get the glove, but he got this, so that was interesting. Well, right. Right. Showing that he's not a kind person, maybe, or a thoughtful person, but he is a conniving person and figures out how to get what he wants in a situation. Yeah. So then we see Lou and Greta on the porch. Uh, They're guarding the house. Lou's got a shotgun. And uh, Greta asks him if he ever stood guard before. Mm-hmm. And she, he says, yeah, the winter of 1979, which is that Sioux Falls deal, I think. Um, yeah, and that Molly was four at the time and inside. Right. And um, she asked if the bad person came. And he said, no, not that night, but soon after. And see, we kind of got that. I mean, that was really a tease for that. We've heard about bodies stacked up like cordwood and and all this kind of stuff and Lou is limping along the whole time the whole thing has been this has been interwoven in this and now I'm really curious sweet Greta goes in and gets her BB gun oh that wasn't an AK-47 I think it was a little BB gun yeah a little air gun or something Mm -hmm. she could she could pluck somebody in the eye with it though that's what she said and then Lou can finish him off. They're going to work together. And how proud Lou looked at her. He's like, that's, you know, he's crazy about her. That was sweet. Yeah, so Molly's back at the police department communication central. She really is sticking to her promise to Gus, at least so far, that she's not going to go out. But she can't stand being there. You can just tell she's chomping at the bit to get into action. Yeah, she's, and well, she's checking with these officers in the field. And what are they saying? I mean, like, crazy stuff. They're just, like, not even doing... They're not even looking for Malvo. They're just, like, kind of out there, I don't know, doing something else. I can't remember what they said, but it was six, really anything? odd. Oi, this is Kurt Six. I'm on 71. I had a pickup with an unsecured load. All quiet otherwise. Yeah, roger that, six. Keep me posted, okay? Yeah, pick up with an unsecured load. Got to get that guy off the road. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, just nothing. And she's like, man, you're out here looking for somebody who's brought down destruction on our town, and you're concerned about the pickup with it. Anyway. So Molly's going to go out and mix it up with with the search. And then she has the receptionist lock the doors. Um, it was just funny. I mean, I, I, any cop who's a cop should be ready to not hide behind locked doors, I think. You can see why she's afraid, I guess. Maybe she is just a receptionist in a cop uniform. Do they do that? I don't know. I, wouldn't th- I would think not, that if you're a soldier or a cop, you're a, you know, you've got to be the whole cop. No, but but then so we go see Budge and Pepper are at the at Lester's driveway, um, and they're talking more about. Do you still think it's a dream? Today's is the whole my whole life is has my whole life been a dream? 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah. whose dream is it? <laughs> that was hilarious. That was really good. I like that one. And um, Malvo's up to his more malevolence by putting somebody else in the role of being the the foil for his evil actions. And uh, he has that poor insurance customer guy driving the car with his hands duct taped to the wheel. Ch- very chump-like. Have, yeah, but could... Obviously, Malvo's not in the car. Malvo's in the woods. Could this guy not have just driven off? If he could drive and drive up there, could he not just have driven off? Maybe. Just, just because my hands are taped to the wheel, if I can drive, I am not going to go up there. Yeah, you never know what Malvo told him. You know, I know True. where your wife is. I know where your baby is. I got these two cops dialed in just do this and i'll let you go and true you never know what he promised the guy or threatened the guy with but um doesn't look good for the guy he drives up and he's he's really scared you can tell um and the budge and pepper try to get him to open the window he can't obviously so then malvo walks up from the side and gets budge and pepper shoots him dead that was sad and the guy in the car looks at Malvo and says, please, I have a little girl. Okay. Did he kill, I know what you think without even asking you, but did he kill the guy in the car? Dead. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to tell you why. Because later on, when they come out, that car is gone. And it would have been a lot of trouble for Malvo to kill the guy, get him out of the car. There was only two blood smears, two. And he would have had to have gotten this guy out of the car, gotten in the car, moved the car out of the way. And why would he have bothered? Because then the guy can't run off and get somebody to help catch Malvo. What did he do with the guy if he didn't kill him? I think he let him go. No, Michelle. He would go right to the authorities. Well, maybe. But I think he let him go. You want to have him let go. Well, yes, of course. But the car was gone. Explain the car being gone then dead he's dead no that's not explaining explain the car being gone you can't just say that maybe Malvo moved it he drove it off to the side or moved it a block away what would be the purpose of that i didn't even actually even notice that the car was moved or missing or whatever when lester goes outside and the and budge and pepper's car's gone remember and there's like the the pool of blood yeah The, the other car's not there either that's when we know the other car's not there. So we know that that Malvo has left in the FBI car. And why wouldn't he have just left in the car that he was test driving if he had let the guy go walking? Because the because, FBI car, the real FBI car, has radios and probably has more connection. You know, he's more dialed in if he's in the real car. Yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't even know that their keys would have been in it or anything. And that's not a... I don't know. Is it a real FBI car? I I thought they flew into town and it was like, I don't know, maybe not. But anyway, the car was gone and that. No, they were staking out for six months in that car. Oh, was that the same car? Probably. Okay. I didn't necessarily notice that. But the other car was gone. And I think the other car being gone, there was no reason for that other car to have been gone if he had killed the guy. You're right. Maybe took it back to the lot and went back to work. Maybe. Test drive didn't work out. 
I'm not convinced he killed him. I think he probably killed him, but they should have shown. That's one of my pet peeves. They should have, even if they didn't show him kill him, leave the car there. So we know that the guy was either turned loose or it was dead in the car. Just for the car to just be gone. Okay. Uh, uh, so we see Molly driving for a second, and then we see Lester unpacking and throwing crap on the floor. Did you figure out, did you know what he was trying to do there? Like he was unpacking the Mexico trip luggage and just throwing shit everywhere. No, I still don't know what he was doing there. What, what was he, you know... I well, thought I at the time I thought he was trying to make it look like he wasn't really going on a trip, like I said before, and that he was just being a slob. You know, he just had clothes everywhere in the house. Um, but we see that later on that he was had another plan, right. pretty smart one, pretty good one actually. That was very good. Yeah. Um. So now what we see that he looks out and I guess he sees the death scene. So is that car he looks at? Budge and Pepper's car or the other car? I think it's Budge and Pepper's car. It is Budge. It's right there. Because it's faced the other way. Yeah, it's facing out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes a little crazy and he runs up and I guess gets his plan going or finishes his plan. We see Malville dragging the bodies behind the wood pile. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, and I guess... You know, uh, Malvo breaks in and goes after Lester. Now, Lester, was he really afraid in the bathroom or was he was he setting the trap, completing the trap? I don't even know if Lester was on the phone in there. I don't know if that was all just a a because you hear him talking. So I don't even think he was on the phone. I yeah. think he was drawing him. I agree. The wolf going after the weak prey, and he was sounding weak and leading him right to where he wanted him to walk. Exactly. Yeah, that was pretty smart. That was that was very very uh, smart. Yeah. That was such a brutal trap. But um, I liked how Malvo using was it the trophy or the award? He wings it, (laughs) wings it at Lester. Like the best warriors will use any weapon at their disposal to complete their task. He just kind of wings that thing at Lester and, and very accurately gets him right in the face. Yeah. He's broken his nose again. Um, and, and so on him. Lester turns into James Bond here. <laughs> you know, he, he's really smart. I, I guess he's just completing his transformation from wimpy you know afraid guy to brave confident guy but it's really high level bravery to stand up to to malvo like this so malvo gets out of the trap why wouldn't he go in the bathroom he has lester caught in there i realize he's injured but why wouldn't he – he's got a gun. Why wouldn't he finish what he started right there? Well, I think he's realizing that Lester's a little bit more dangerous than he thought he probably was at first. Yeah, but Malvo's not scared of anybody. Plus, he's pretty hurt. He's got a compound fracture. Ooh, you're using big medical words now. That's pretty good. That's a uh, big medical word. Well, I mean, to know a compound fracture, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I – he does, but 
why would you let him go at that point? I mean, at that point, he's obviously, Malvo is okay. He can drive a car. I don't know why when he's eight feet away from Lester, why he wouldn't just finish what he came there for. Because Lester might have more firepower. He's got a bear trap set up for him. Who knows what else he has? <laughs> well, that's a good point. Does do, do we know, did Lester's gun come out? Did Malvo see that gun? Yeah, he shot him, didn't he? So he knows he's got a gun. He knows he's not just walking in on an innocent. I think he realizes he's, he's been tricked into this trap and time to go live to fight another day. Well, right. And maybe he is, like we talked about, more animal-like and he's hurt, so he's going to retreat and regroup and go back out. Yeah, and he is like an animal. He drives home in pain with a tourniquet around his leg and... Uh, it's an ugly wound when he gets there. We see it's that compound break, and he pulls the Anton Chigurh like he has many times before and gives himself the shot from the medical kit. Was that for pain or for, or for pain or for, like, infection? That was for pain. That was a, I won't be able to do, and I think it would have taken more than that one little little syringe of medication and also some time in between to numb that. Enough. Having a bone reset, have you ever experienced anything like that? No. Well, I've had a bone reset, but not a compound fracture sticking through my leg and resetting it by myself with a rope. With a you have never rope. done that? No. Um, but even just having a bone reset, were you awake? Yeah. Well, I, was, I remember being like semi. I broke a wrist and the doctor had to pull my... The nurse held my arm and the doctor pulled my hand to pull the yeah. thing back out. But, I, but they gave, I was a little kid. I was probably eight, and they gave me a shot that made me groggy. I remember it, but it wasn't painful. It didn't hurt? You don't remember it hurt? No, because it didn't I've, hurt. I've seen people have their bones reset, and it is a painful thing. So I guess it just depends. But that looked particularly painful. You're right. Do you think Gus... Um, well, first of all, do you think Malva was talking with those wolves or listening to those wolves? That wolf? Um, Outside, he heard the wolves kind of howling. Yeah, I didn't think about that. What What made you think that? Because he's because he's because of that. Like our earlier conversation, the wolf was kind of pack. The pack wolf was outside his house, and you know, yeah, was, I I kind of looked at it more like a a conflicting wolf a you know like a alpha wolf trying to because the wolf stopped Gus at his house so it was like trying to get him killed that's how I looked at the wolf thing it was like an, an another alpha wolf trying to eliminate Malvo but I don't know all, all of that's so uh you know kind of out there but but I did think that you think the second wolf was an alpha wolf the wolf it, with the broken leg when he looked out the window and he saw the wolf, he thought that wolf, you think that wolf was against Malvo? There was a wolf with a broken leg? No, when Malvo's fixed his compound. I think it was the same wolf. I think it was the same wolf that had stopped because, I mean, it's the wolf in the area at okay. his cabin. And I think he was another alpha wolf that wanted Malvo out of there. That's how I took it, but... Like I said, that's that stuff's real 
So you think so that Jake, wolf tipped Gus off to stop here and catch Malvo? Yes. I'd absolutely. He ran in front of his car to stop him right there. Huh, that's but, interesting. I pictured the wolves being, like, in union, like, on the same side. Oh, I didn't at all. Like, the wolf was stopping Gus so that he would come in and get in tr- and get killed by Malvo. I, I didn't even think that. I mean, I would have probably rethought it had it worked out that way. But particularly since it didn't, that never even crossed my mind. Well, Gus is the wolf slayer. Gus, who has been in hiding in the cabin, comes up on Malvo and his injury and uh, lays in wait and shoots. He shoots an unarmed man. Now, what, what about all that legality? Gus is a civilian. Lays in wait for a guy, even though he's a bad guy, but he just shoots him without provocation. You know, I don't know. In his that own house. Vigilante. That was a vigilante move. And there's a whole bunch of different legal opinions that I've read online um, about that. Most people think that... He could have gotten away. But there was a whole bunch to that, too. A lot of people says, well, Gus never said what he did. We don't hear him call it in. Maybe he planted stuff at the scene to make it look like blah, blah, blah. I don't believe any of that. No, no, me either. So, so what? What? Well, Gus also, while he was laying in wait, he didn't call the cops and... You know, Pepper got killed, Budge got killed, the insurance guy probably got killed. While Gus is just waiting for Malvo, what what might have changed had he called the cops when he first saw the cabin? Oh, I know. And, I mean, how long was he there? It could have been a good little while. And um, what did you think about him doing that? I know you can't like that, even though part of you says it's justified <clears throat> I like it. I me. think he rose up beyond his normal fears to protect what was important to him. He finally realized that Malvo wasn't going to stop by ignoring him. He, he couldn't hide from Malvo anymore. So you think in this case the vigilante justice was was okay? He, well, I question the, the legality of it, but I can understand completely why Gus did it. I yeah, th- but not just the legality. I mean, it goes beyond the legality. They gave him a citation. They gave him an award right. that, for it. Yeah, the believability, I guess, was kind of dicey, too. And, yeah, I mean, I, he did. He shot an unarmed man. He was sitting there. He was injured, and he was sitting there. Yep. And that's, like, the only way to catch that type of a wolf is wait till he's injured and then finish him off. I don't know. I have more. We'll get to the end, and I have some questions and stuff that I didn't like, but that was that was one of them. Um, but Gus puts three bullets in his torso, and Malvo just looks pissed off. Yeah. I mean, he like uh, growls at Gus almost. Did you see that? Yeah, like he it like gave him more energy. Yeah, that was horrifying, and I didn't know if he was going to die at that point or not. <laughs> Did you? I no. really didn't know what we were seeing. I was hoping we wouldn't see him morph into a wolf or something like that. But I really did not know. Well, I thought Gus might leave like, okay, I've done enough. I'm not, I can't shoot him in the head. I'm just going to leave. And then Malvo right. would have been limping around. But right. he doesn't. He finishes him off. Yep. 
Um, and in between there's a commercial, the bridge is looking better and better, Michelle from Tennessee. I like these commercials enough to maybe start watching this series again. Okay, good. I guess it starts on July 9th, but uh, it's looking good. Sometimes they can do that. They make the previews look really good and the show sucks, but it looks really good. Well, I thought it ended pretty well. So, I mean, with how many seasons have there been? I think there's only been one, hadn't there? I think this is only number two. I only remember one. Uh, okay, well, so back to our show. Molly drives up on the scene and um, hugs Gus, and it's, uh, I guess, just relief at this point. There's no words for a while at no. this Malvo death scene. No, and Gus ends up being the dog catcher. So all the people who said that, remember all the predictions at the get-go that Gus was going to be the one? Yeah. Kudos to them. They got it. Even though it was weirdly done, kind of, but they got it. Why do you think, uh, do you think it was just drama of TV, but why do you think Gus had Molly open the tape case and, and he made it like a production? I think he had probably seen it, just my guess. And wanted Molly to have the glory of it or maybe get to actually hear it or whatever. I think he kind of wanted to give that to Molly. But that's just kind of what I thought at the time. I didn't sit and think about it for any length of time. Yeah, well, it is kind of her job, too, I guess, to explore the crime scene, not Gus's. (laughs) Well, and probably her job to handle Malvo and her job to do all that that Gus kind of took upon himself. But, yeah. uh, in that tape case, there were some names names on those tapes, and I looked them up. Oh, cool. Um, Phil Chapura is a first assistant director for the Fargo show. He was one of the guys, the tapes. Oh, I love that. Chris McRae, no info on, on him. I couldn't find out. Carson Wells was Woody Harrelson's role in No Country for Old Men. Oh, that's great. Um, Greg Auk was the art department and special effects guy. Uh, Clayton Budd was cameras and assistant director, and Ken Wills was light lighting designer. So they that's dropped some right. of the names of the crew into that tape case. How smart. That's really good. I like that little touch. Um, and then so we hear Lester on the tape of the Lester tape, and it's my wife. I think um, I think she's dead. I think I um, I think she's dead. Aw, oh, geez. So she, he's you know pretty much admitting his guilt the whole confession those tapes doom lester to to uh all of the all of the crimes mm-hmm. i think those tapes kind of represent that like everything in life everything we all do in life is record you know recorded quote air quotes somewhere it's like karma you know there's repercussions for everything we do somehow it's in this cosmic sight sense of things it's recorded you don't just get away with it that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. But yeah, I mean, we eventually have to pay, I think, maybe sometimes for some of the choices that we make, whether, yeah, it's like it does kind of come back on us, reaping what we sow, sort of. So like Jerry Lundegaard in the in the hotel in the movie Fargo, Lester Nygaard is on a snowmobile somewhere up near the Canadian border two weeks later. And um, Glacier, Glacier National Park, Montana. Mm-hmm. And he runs up to probably right up to the edge of the border. And then the Border Patrol guys see him and chase him on the snowmobiles. Um, 
Lester runs away and he drives onto the lake and we're back at the very first opening scene where the snowmobile on the lake and Lester running and he falls through the ice and perishes into the lake. Um, I guess that was okay for an ending. You can't really run from your past. Lester tries to run and can't run from his past. But I didn't like... I didn't like that the anonymous border patrol guys were the guys that got Lester, you know, and they didn't even get him, you know, they didn't even get him. It's just, he just kind of literally disappeared in front of their eyes. I was watching with my daughter and she made a comment. She said, well, I guess Lester was on thin ice the whole time, huh? (laughs) So I thought that was kind of, yeah, I thought that was pretty good, a pretty good way to put that because, Considering Lester died because of thin ice. So. Yeah. Yeah, he got what he was about to get in the second or third episode. Well, yeah, it brought back that whole uh, icy hole of death that Numbers and Wrench were uh, so known for. So Molly gets the news on the phone. Are you sure? Let me know what the divers turn up. Mm-hmm. And they're watching Deal or No Deal Again with Greta, mm-hmm. and, and again um, Greta's the brave one. She or the risk taker. She wants to go for it, and Gus is saying, "Take the money, take the money." Yeah, and then Gus says he gets the citation, and Greta says, "You can't get a citation. You're afraid of spiders." And evidently, Buzz Aldrin was afraid of spiders too. Yeah, but he went into space, and that's it. Um, so I didn't like the fact that Lester didn't get caught by Molly. You know, he kind of he kind of ended himself or got caught by those anonymous guys. <clears throat> well, he was caught by Molly, but he wasn't captured by Molly. Molly got her I think listening to that tape was her was her moment, but I agree. I mean, I agree. I wanted I wanted to see that. I also wanted to see more of an interaction between Molly and Malvo. We never got to see that at all. We never saw Molly and Malvo in the same scene, except for that one blurry snow second of action. Right. And that's what the whole thing was about. And they never interacted. And I think that would have been um, a great interaction to have put them together. So I was a little disappointed that we didn't see something with that. Yeah. I mean, some of that might play into the second season if they have a second season. They also didn't explain Malvo's operation at all. Like, what was that run realty deal? What was that operation? No, we never saw any of that. Malvo turned out that he was just a human. He got killed by another human and died like a human. And what were those powers that he had when he made the lights flicker? And how did he escape from the basement? They didn't explain enough about Malvo and his powers and his operation. No, they didn't. Uh, or it, what that operation even was. You know, those the 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 guys sending people out. And the, remember, we had that whole conversation about, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do when a guy goes bad? You break his arm and then you kill him or whatever. Um, so, Michelle, what? how would you rank the series? Game of Th- These all kind of ended at the same time. Game of Thrones, Fargo, <laughs> and Louie. How would you rank the, the series? Oh, 
that's just, you can't, I, I cannot rank them together because I'll tell you why. Louie is, first of all, one, many end on high notes and many end on low notes. So it's a completely different emotional reaction that I have to them. But they're so different other than that. So, I mean, this was, it was really good. I, I think these characters developed to me like fine wine, to use a cliche, <laughs> but I really think they did. They started out okay, and then they morphed into these perfect, uh, they, these, these actors and actresses were, they were excellent. So being graded on that, I think that it was just great. I loved how they took the movie Fargo and took just the nuances of it and turned it into this TV show with just enough that you could see touches of it. I like how they didn't make Molly totally Marge, but they gave her so many Marge-like kind of qualities and stuff. And I liked how she got prettier, as stupid as that is. I like how she got prettier as it went on. Well, I, I'm going to rank them Game of Thrones, Louis, and Fargo as far as the series. And the endings, I'm going to rank Louis, Game of Thrones, and Fargo in that order for the last episodes. Well, that's they, exactly what you – I mean, so both. That's the same thing, right? No, I put – Oh, uh, did I? Well, I thought I, I had Louis, so. Louis with the best ending. Maybe Game of Thrones and Louis were one and two, even probably both number one equally. But I put Fargo behind them both. Tell me why. Um, just that it was entertaining, but I didn't like those unanswered questions, and I didn't like how Lester's resolution was just kind of incidental to Lester running and not having somebody who deserved to catch him catch him. Yeah, but Mike, I don't think it's fair to 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 grade. Fargo with those other two because those other two we know if that were the series finale of Game of Thrones and Louis how many unanswered questions would you have this was the end of Fargo so we have to look at it and go okay we're not going to have the answers to these questions and that's a little unsatisfying I well think. we don't know that there might be a Fargo that well here's there's a lot of unanswered questions too we can go through those but the the reason they're unanswered may be because we have another episode of Fargo, another season of Fargo coming. Maybe, but they're not going to answer all of them, I don't think at all. I would be very surprised if they answer most of them because I think these characters, I think for the most part they're done. I don't think we're going to go back with these characters being the main role characters. I'd be really shocked if we did that, and I don't think it would be good. I think... This should be the end of this story. Well, here are the unanswered questions. We already talked about what happened at Sioux Falls. Right. Um, where is Wrench? What happens with Wrench? No idea. What uh, does Stavros continue on as the grocery king? Oh, I know. We needed to hear. I mean, Stavros just on the side of the road, just screaming over his dead son. I mean, we needed more than that. Uh, is Gina Hess still single? Um, I don't know. What about Chaz and Gordo? Are they cellmates or did they get freed or what happened to those guys? 
Yeah, okay. I had a problem with that. Let me tell you my problem with that real quick. I think that Molly would not have let Chaz take the fall for that. The more I think about that with all of her evidence, I know she was bullied by, and I don't like that word, but bullied by Bill into dropping it. But with her evidence board and stuff like that, I don't think she would have just let Chaz be framed that way without at least imparting some of this stuff to his defense. Yeah, it seems like they could have quickly in one minute shown Chaz like doing something, packing his guns up or, you know, that he was free or still in jail or something. Right. Not critical, but I'm just curious, you know. Uh, what about Kitty? What's she doing now that she's single and give, giving up the bear trap to Lester? Yeah, well, I mean, what's she doing with, you know, without her kid and everything? I mean, we're assuming. I mean, I don't know if she has her kid now or not. But What was the mitzvah tank truck and what, where's the wise rabbi and the underwear wife in the window? What was that all about? I don't know. So that those were some questions that either invite a second season or those are just some of the things we live with by, you know, having a pretty good show and they don't always answer everything. And that's okay. I guess they don't have to answer everything. There was there some of that stuff I did I would have liked to have known the answers to and probably people have other things that we haven't even touched on that they would want to know. About what about the guy, the Nigerian son, Bill's adopted son? That was you like, know, yeah. I, I started to bring that up, and then I was like, I'm, I'm not even bringing that up because that was my least favorite part of these whole 10 episodes. I don't understand that at all. Well, maybe that or the raining fish. I didn't like the raining fish either. They ask us to suspend reality. Yeah, well, the raining fish at least fit the story model that it was one of the plagues. But the guy, the son, I don't know, it was a Nigeria, but some African son. That what the hell was Sudan. that? Sudan. He was Sudanese. Is, yeah, yeah. What so. was that? You know, <laughs> I mean, just to show us, give us like a little taste of Bill has a heart or something. But I don't know when he was in in uh, the in Stavros's grocery store stealing. So they were. I, I never got any of that. If anybody has any information on that and can share it, I would love to know the answer to why that was even put in there. Yeah, it may be to leave a few doors open for opportunities for seasons two or three or whatever. But we'll see, I guess. So that's it, Michelle, from Tennessee for Fargo TV. It's done, at least for this year. It's done. Hey, if Noah Hawley did more... Cohen Brothers, would you be excited about it? What if they did like a TV adaptation of of more Cohen Brothers movies? What do you think? Um, I guess I give it a chance. I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I, I think-, think that would be interesting. I think that the Cohen Brothers. This had great potential, and I thought it really did a, it really did good. They would have had a hard time. It felt kind of rushed to me. This last one did to try to answer as many questions as they did, even though it was very, it was a long episode. But 
there was still so much left out, I would have been happier had they answered more questions. But I did love how it was done. I really did. I thought it was really good. Maybe not great. Maybe almost great, but really good. The Bald Move guys who have a Fargo podcast um, had an interesting take. They said that it would be interesting to have like a Malvo tapes show. Like every tape in that book, in that thing is a show. What the, yeah. what the, what the reason was they were after that particular person. That would be interesting. That's another great point. Yep. So there are a lot of ways they could lead it into a second or further seasons, which is probably good. I, I guess I'd rather see Noah Hawley do another Fargo than to see him do like a, a Barton Fink or something, a different, you know, a well, different even Coen like, Brothers. You know, Raising Arizona, that's completely different, but it would be interesting. Or um, what about like a Anton Chigurh, No Country for Old Men? Yeah, I don't know. That's one I'm, I really like. That one might be my favorite movie. I'm kind of protective of that, like thinking, like a lot of people probably did about Fargo, like, oh, no, don't ruin the movie by trying to make a series you know, about it. But I don't know. They did a pretty good job with Fargo. What did you think the overall take was on this? Were people happy with the ending? I mean, I know it's only been, it's barely been over for 12 hours. We've been talking about it for an hour and a half. But um, what what do you think people are thinking about this at this point? Yeah, I think they liked it. I mean, it's pretty good, but it does have those open questions. Breaking Bad had those open questions, too, and it was pretty much a stellar show. So we never knew what Gus's thing in Chile was and Breaking Bad and you know, there are a few open-ended questions. There always are. You can't wrap it up totally perfectly. Right. Um, but I think people liked it. I think people liked the ending for the most part. Well, I hope so. I hope that um, that we get to see more of it. I'm definitely willing and ready to give uh, Fargo Season 2 a shot. All right. Well, the hell with Fargo, Michelle. We're doing Orange is the New Black next week. <laughs> Uh, we are. I'm so excited. And I got to tell you, this could be really interesting in a girl-guy thing, you know, like you and I discussing this. It's completely different. I've watched the series with my husband. I haven't seen it all yet. But I went back. My One of my grown daughters wanted to start watching it because she'd heard so much about it. So I went back with her and started watching season one. And it is a completely different experience to me to watch it with a female than it is to watch it with a male. So I'm excited. I'm doubly excited about you and I having a go at this. So please. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say because it's going to be different to hear a man's point of view and a woman's point of view. I think. Yeah, so please listen in. It'll be um, just look at West Coast Project or O-I-T-N-B is the, we just put the initials for the acronym of the show, Orange is the New Black, O-I-T-N-B, on Facebook and Stitcher. They're both on there now. And um, no Facebook page. Just look for West Coast Project on Facebook. And that's it. We'll see you next week for episode one of Orange is the New Black. I'm excited. All right, Michelle from Tennessee. I'll see you later. <laughs> see you then. Okay. Bye-bye, Mike. Bye. Bye.